Hello and welcome to today's message on the book of Acts, chapter 6, where we've been journeying through books of the Bible, started with the Gospel of John, now in the book of Acts. And this is the devotional series that should hopefully encourage you, I hope it blesses you. My name is Lloyd and really be welcomed. Pray that God would just really inform your heart, stir your faith and excite you about following him. Or if you don't know him, that you would be encouraged to come to him for the very first time. And if you're not part of a local church, that you would join a church. So let me just pray. Lord Jesus, would you come and stir our hearts afresh. Give us fresh passion for your church, the Bride of Christ. Give us eyes to see more clearly whose we are and who we belong to who we are in Christ, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to read out chapter 6, verse 1 to 7, again, as we do part 2 today. We're looking at the solution. Last week we focused on what was the problem that the early church encountered that gave, gave cause for them to select seven people to serve in this ministry. So let's read out. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the truth. <clears throat> so we heard last week about the complaint. Now, to see what the church will do to solve it. And why is this the case? Because for whatever moaning, whinging, grumbling, whining, we do, we still need a solution. We can't just sit in the ditch forever, grumbling, complaining. At some point, an area, in any area of life, particularly in church life, you need to get out of that ditch and find that solution. Go to God, Lord, what should we do? And often these situations draw, can draw a church together, or they can split a church if we take it the wrong way. And we see in today's reading that the church was galvanized, they were encouraged by the solution. So the problem, the complaints, led them to find a solution that pleased everyone. And instead of dividing and forming a, a new denomination based on cultural background or language, the church remained united and more strongly united because of the solution. And so there was an incredible moment of danger where people begin to grumble. Um, and this was even more dangerous than the oppression from the authorities, from the Jewish religious leaders. Theirs was an external pressure. This internal pressure, this, this trial was way more dangerous for the early church. <clears throat> so, what now? 
The twelve summoned the full number of disciples. It's a large gathering. The church had been growing fast and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So they've complained. The leaders gather everyone, quite a large gathering. You think they might meet in a room and figure out the solution themselves. No, they gather everyone. The great danger was that the, the progress of missional growth in the early church would have to slow and the apostles would have to divide their time and do something that they were not gifted to do and so therefore do it badly like they had been doing apparently and everyone would be frustrated by this so to avoid this let's get back to what we're meant to be doing and let's give other people the task of doing that which they've noticed is not being done right so what did they do it's always important to focus on what you can do not what you can't do. What did they do? They took initiative, the apostles. They didn't just leave the problem to sort itself out. And this is what leadership is. You notice things, complaints arise, so you take action, you gather people together, you facilitate a solution. So the apostles gathered the people together. They called together the early church. They called together the full number of disciples. That's a lot of people. They never imposed the solution. This wasn't the area of gifting after all, but rather they facilitated the solution. So they allowed people to have a discussion and to come to the best solution. That's what leadership is, not always having to make the, the call or the decision, but it's bringing people together to bring that solution, which they then appointed people into. The problem is shared with everyone, and yet, even amongst this enlarged group, you'd think there'd be a diversity of opinions. Even amongst this group, the solution offered was good. That's because there were gifted minds in this enlarged group now who can better serve in this capacity. And they allow the apostles to keep operating in their gifting and their calling. And the apostles similarly empower others. A fresh set of leaders is raised up who've emerged from within the church, which is a really important point. They're not from outside, they're from within. And whilst this may be seen as the apostles delegating a lower duty to others so they can retain the real control, it is so far from that. If you read the rest of the epistles, you just feel the heart of these apostles. But at this particular moment, to be an apostle is a dangerous thing. Who's been in prison? Who's been almost killed? Like we've had some of the apostles beheaded already. It's a dangerous thing to be an apostle. Imprisonments, punishment. It was no walk in the park. No one ever persecuted anyone for serving tables. Rather, the world itself may actually applaud table servers social action areas. Often we see honors being given out to those who've served in these causes, but never to those who serve in ministry, in ministry of the word and prayer. Suffering follows those who preach the gospel. The apostles wanted to protect the flock and avoid them facing the punishment, the public trials, the humiliation, the imprisonments that we've read about in the first five chapters. They also wanted, the apostles, their heart was not to keep control, but to empower people into their ministry, to, 
to serve the church, to be there to, to blow on other people's coals and let them come to flame and watch the gifting emerging. They wanted to help people, a fresh batch of people, to, to serve the church in this way. And the best way to serve the church in this particular moment was to get fresh minds, fresh hands involved, different hands to those that had been doing a poor job before. The, the apostles, they're just people after all, did not have time to serve tables between preaching, teaching, pastoring, being in prison, being persecuted. It would not be fair to the widows to keep this responsibility with the apostles to a small, tightly knit group who maintained all the, the power. Instead, they want to empower others to do that which they have not been gifted or called to. So there was no hint whatsoever that the apostles saw the table serving as a lesser duty. It was a, probably a more prominent role, they were probably more visible to the church. Um, and importantly, it wasn't a less spiritual duty. It wasn't beneath them. It was a very loving and practical solution that the apostles proposed and that they wanted so that all are helped, many can serve, and God is ultimately glorified. They had been called by Jesus to preach and to prayer, and they would be in danger of disobedience if they ignored that and did not empower others to do a better job in what they had been doing poorly. Pastoral work and social work are just different. They're just different. They require different people, different callings and giftings, and also they take time, so you can't have the same person doing everything. The priority must remain, for the apostles that is, preaching and now prayer. Otherwise, they would get distracted and the whole church would ground to a halt. And it's important to notice the second priority. So we've seen previously they've been, they've been preaching a lot, but now it's prayer. They themselves said, we just must pray. There needs to be a priority in the church, in the early church of prayer. The early church gave such a weight to prayer that no other tasks could get in the way. No matter what it was, they must still keep praying. Jesus' top priority after teaching and preaching and, and raising up a team was to be with his Father in prayer and to teach his disciples to pray. He would often disappear off to be with his Father. That was the priority in his life, was prayer. We need the same priorities in our day. So is your church passionate, devoted to this priority of prayer? Do they pray regularly together? Do they have corporate times of being with God, experiencing God's presence, encountering God? Not just going through a list, but actually meeting with God, meeting together in God's presence. If not, why not? Why not start? And importantly, who's running the church? If God is not directing opera operations through regular, sustained times of prayer, it's very likely that humans will be running the church with a very man-centered agenda. Often pastors and leaders from the global south and global east come to the western church, even to very large and successful churches, mega churches, and they'll notice almost straight away how busy the church is with events and rotors and committees, and yet so little prayer. 
In one commentary, one believer from the Global East, I think it was, said, It is amazing how much you can do without God. So the twelve apostles gather everyone together, and all heads are engaged now. There's no hierarchy, there's no condescension. No, no, let's all find a solution for this grave problem that's facing the church. Our mission is at stake. We're a brand new church, but we're about to get sidetracked. Each, each member wants to serve each other, and most of all, to serve these widows. That's what it's about, it's the widows. The Greek, Jewish widows especially. No Christian, in an, no Christian is an ordinary Christian. Each of us have a calling that God has called us to, that we need to follow through on whilst risk being disobedient to what Jesus called us to. The problems arise when we try to do someone else's calling or start to envy another's calling instead of being content with what God has called us to do, what he's uniquely gifted us and given us joy in. Shall we be good at getting on with God's great purposes and our own calling rather than fussing and bothering about what other people are up to and how I want to do what they're doing and how... You know, let's get away from that, that envious position where we're looking at other people wanting to run in their lane. Let's get into our lane and run hard for God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty so there is the solution the apostles must give themselves wholly and undividedly to their calling of preaching and prayer and stirring the church to prayer and preaching and raising up leaders planting churches and so there's a fresh ministry opportunity which has just opened wide for several people to jump into and this became the blueprint for what was to be the role of maybe the deacon in the church. One who serves. And this frees up the apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, to pursue their calling and to stir the church up in those giftings with an undivided attention. It's really important to hear this, that God is work for everyone in the church. Not everyone enjoys a public role. Some people hate public speaking in front of people, especially preaching. Not all are gifted the same, thankfully. What a boring, monotonous church it would be if we all had the same gift. And through this crisis, the apostles have clarified their own calling and they've opened the hearts and minds of others to start taking on other responsibilities. Everyone is called up to be part of the church and to support one another in their different callings. The first responsibility is choose seven men from among yourselves. So we're not going to go out and find specialists. We're going to look within. And there's a couple of um, character types we're going to be looking for. We don't need professionals coming in to do it, but just those who are called we want to see upon them the call of God. We want to see them as faithful and available right here in the church family. The spiritual ministries of word and prayer are not superior to those practical ministries. All ministries serving for the encouragement and strengthening of the church. And all ministries are spiritual ministries. 
All callings are legitimate and sanctified. If you're called to industry, to healthcare, to teaching, to the military, to, to business, all these are God-given spiritual ministries. It is so important that we get this and empower our congregations and those around us to pursue God's calling where we are, not where we aren't, not in someone else's lane, but in our lane. And so seven are chosen. And once again, we see this element of team, a group, so the burden is shared, allowing scope for rest, family, commitments, illness. Let's look at the qualifications. A good repute, of good repute, so they have an ongoing and current good reputation, both outside the church as well as inside the church, because clearly they have to be nominated by a larger number of people. Those nominated must be held in high esteem to get the support of such a large number of people. Free from scandal, pride, overbearing, free from, from lack of grace and, and making people feel guilty, full of integrity, faithfully serving already in some capacity, well spoken of, helpful already, character that others aspire to and also admire. The second qualification is full of the Holy Spirit, which arguably is the qualification that allows all the others. Um, because when a reputation is gained by what people observe about us, but what people observe is what the Holy Spirit has already done inside us. So we're almost catching up to what God is already doing in someone's life. So we don't need to claim a position or a ministry or a title, rather, God gives that to us and other people notice and then we lay hands and that's, that's, how, that's how things should operate. Those who are truly filled with the Spirit live a life that bears the fruit of the Spirit. It is a definite outcome. If the Holy Spirit is inside you, He just produces fruit. It is, it's, it's what's going to happen. It's not one that has to be forced or there's nothing of that sort. When the Holy Spirit is inside you, He gives you a grace for doing things and his fruit begins to show. Ask any fruit tree. Fruit trees never struggle to produce fruit. They just do it. For, for me and you that's impossible. I can't produce one grape. But a vine, grapevine produces plenty every year. Indeed this underlines that this is a spiritual role. The role that these people are being appointed to is a spiritual role because the key ingredient is being full of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just serving tables, but it is serving tables empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we must refuse to separate spiritual and practical ministries in terms of rank or importance. Of course, this may mean different meetings and groupings to make these things work and to progress and not to frustrate one another. But the overall emphasis is that all giftings and callings are valid and spiritual, and they require the Holy Spirit to operate in them. Every task undertaken in church is a spiritual ministry. That's, just not, that's not just on a Sunday. That's Church life is throughout the week. It's what you're doing a hundred miles, a thousand miles away from your church building on a Tuesday afternoon. That is church, and that needs the Holy Spirit. The next qualification is wisdom. Full of wisdom to actually do what is needed. So zeal is one thing, being keen and you know, frustrated that things are broken. 
that we're dealing with vulnerable people here. And it's very important, the task that's at hand. It's daily feeding. The food needs to be cooked properly, otherwise everyone's going to get sick. Everyone, there needs to be some order. You know, this person comes at this time, this person has a special need, someone's got an allergy. All of that needs to be worked out. If it's someone who's just keen, but not wise, that will fall apart. So we need a maturity, a skillfulness that honors people and also serves them. Because this is about the widows. It's not mainly about the seven who are appointed. They just, they're doing the feeding. It's all about the people. Wisdom, once again, is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Would have been shorter to say, these guys are spirit-filled. That one qualification is enough to fill these other things, but there are workings of that. They were all tasked with picking seven. So the entire grouping who's been gathered together, they had complained. They must pick. They must be part of the solution. Take ownership of the situation. The apostles would give them ownership and authority. Who could best solve this from amongst us here? They're basically asking the group. And often when a gap emerges and pe people will step up wonderfully. And as they do, God so strengthens them and empowers them. And people recognize, actually, that is good. And we recognize the work of God. But it takes that gap peering, that allowing space for others to emerge and then empowering them and getting out the way. The apostles will then ordain, appoint and commission these seven. They'll be given authority and recognition. So there's no dispute as to who is now in charge of serving the tables. It'll be these seven. And no one's going to go to the apostles and say, can I have some bread? They're going to go to these seven because they've seen publicly these people being affirmed in their role. <clears throat> but we will devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word. So we're going to appoint these people, but we're going to stay on our, in our lanes. The apostles are clear about their calling. And it's so good to have apostles and leaders who are clear on their calling, not insecure and doubtful and envious. Preaching is their call so that the doctrine is safeguarded. Prayer, so the church is vitally connected to God on an ongoing basis, especially the leaders. The word of God is alive and living, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, and joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That was their ministry, was to bring the word in such a powerful and authentic way. They were called to that and to prayer. Here's a quote from a guy called Samuel Chadwick. Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. In order to devote themselves as apostles to the ministry of the word and prayer, it must be a priority and others must be empowered in their ministry to free up the apostles. If you serve as a deacon in your church, you are serving God incredibly, but you're also allowing others to be free to pursue the calling that God has on their lives. Isn't that a remarkable thing? When you stay in your lane and you stop crossing into other people's lanes, you actually allow everyone to run fast and hard. And the whole church benefits and God is glorified. May God give us great joy to free others up 
but also joy in our own serving. And this is the joyful outcome. What they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen. So we're going to hear a lot about Stephen in the next couple of weeks. And it's interesting that he was appointed as a, as a deacon. And it says, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip and Prochorus, I'm just going to read out their names, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. So these are all, or mostly, Greek Jews. So they were selected from the community, bearing the brunt of the apparent neglect amongst the feeding of the widows. Those who felt the neglect were empowered to fix the issue. They were entrusted with leadership authority. And this is an important point to bear in your church, if it's a cross-cultural church. It is when people are trusted and empowered like this, that they truly feel included. If people are coming into your church from a different background and we're not entrusting them and bringing them through in leadership, they won't ever, ever feel included. If we don't empower, there's no, include, there's no inclusion. The communities are now welcomed as they serve together. And that's what drew this church together. We need to do this in our churches. We need to ensure broad diversity to, to reflect the church. Otherwise, those who are not welcomed will just check out in church life. They will attend, but they will not be a vital and living part of the church community. We need to bring people in. We need to empower people and, and, and lay hands on them and give them authority in their ministry. And what a wonderful outcome. These proposals pleased everyone. That's very rare, isn't it? That everyone is pleased. Such a diverse group. You think someone would have a different opinion, but all are pleased and the grumbling turns to pleasure and joy in service. Everyone's happy. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid hands on them. They were publicly affirmed in their roles. Hands were laid on them. You might say the Spirit was poured out on them in that moment. Blessing and empowerment from the Holy Spirit to do the work that they had been called to do and recognized in. There's nothing better than a public affirmation or send off to do a work. When the whole church is behind a ministry or an individual, they get behind them and they propel them out. Hands are laid on them. Go and have our deepest blessing in what God has called you to do. That is the greatest privilege, is when a church gets behind someone or a group of people or a family and sends them off and says, you go feed the tables. We're all behind you. We're rooting for you. We want to hear how you're doing. Come back and tell us how you're doing. Be in a church that sends people, that gives people away, that gets behind people and their calling and their passions for God. Don't be, don't be part of a church that stifles the calling and the purposes of God by just having it in a tiny little group of people. One individual has all the control and power. Empower your church to go off on adventures for God. And it says, the word of God continued to increase. This church was having an adventure and the number of disciples increased, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So they've been increasing before. The solution happens and they increased even more. They multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests, the priests, that's the old established church, became obedient to the faith. What an interesting phrase, obedient to the faith. 
they must have felt very disobedient. All that they were doing, they suddenly realized we're not following God. The result is a fresh focus by the apostles on preaching and prayer. But for the rest of the church, for the deacons, there's a fresh focus on serving. And the church now is served. Food is served. Widows are blessed. Everyone is blessed. Everyone is involved now. More people involved. The leadership team has expanded. All benefit. And God is mightily glorified. This event served to unite and galvanize the church rather than divide it. They were in a profound relational crisis up to this point. Two communities at, at loggerheads. But with wisdom and the apostolic gift, it is solved to the joy of all involved. It's not like a bare minimum solution where we've sort of we've done a fudge and people are sort of half happy. No, everyone's happy. Diverse communities have joy. Such humility in leadership, rather than being insecure when things are pointed out and when criticism arises about their leadership, these leaders lay down and say, we can't do it. Can you guys help us? Such a remarkable humility. The focus was on the solution, on the service, on the widows, not on, you know, want to keep control, but no, no, let's serve these widows. There was no power struggle or unloving dictatorship you know you must do this no no let's get together let's find the solution just a gentle meeting that brought brought joy to all so the church advances in unity as we can see interestingly even the priests now turned away from the jewish established church and they joined the early church so they must have given up all their maybe their homes maybe their income and they joined this ragtag early church and they became obedient to the faith. So the thing that drew them was Jesus. They came, they, they saw the early church, they saw they following Jesus, that they were obedient to God's calling and promises. And they gave up their disobedience. And that may be you today. If you're disobeying God, if you're not following God's call, if you're in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing, start following Jesus. So attractive was the early church, partly because of this humble leadership that we've seen today, and the solutions that they, that they gave that involved everyone, that it drew even those from the established church with all the systems and the money and the political power and the income and the homes. And these people, the priests, longed for authentic, relational, family church on mission. So different from the structural, the organizational, the politics, the power struggles, the religion of the establishment. So let's bring this to a close. Are you complaining? Should you instead offer to help? How can you serve your church? Are you operating in your spiritual calling? Whatever it is, does your church empower you in that? And do you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, to live life with Jesus? I pray today, if you don't know Jesus, would you be part of this great big family of God with so much work to do? is a place for you. In Jesus' name, amen.